Hello and welcome to the very first Raw podcast of 2020. I uh, hope you've all had a very good Christmas and New Year. I'm Richard Munir and I'm joined by Phil Smith. Good morning. And James Copley. Good morning. Uh, for, as I say, the first edition of the Raw for this year and there is plenty to talk about um, since the last time we did a podcast um, when we were talking about the team of the decade, Phil. It was quite a jovial podcast. Since then, clubs up for sale. Um uh, divided fan base, I think it's probably fair to say. Um, form on the field has improved uh, slightly, and the January transfer window is open, and fans are eagerly awaiting the first arrival of the window at Sunderland, with a couple of players already departed. Lawrence de Bock heading back to Leeds, he's gone back to Belgium, and Dylan McGeoch, uh, which was widely expected, has gone back up to Scotland, and he's joined Aberdeen on a two-and-a-half-year deal. Um, where should we kick off, then? Should we kick off with uh, the sale of the club? Um, Stuart Donald and uh, and uh, the pressure from some of the fan groups um, it followed the 1-1 draw with Bolton Wonders at the Stadium of Light on Boxing Day which I think we'd all agree was a as dire as it got and that was when Sunderland really were at the lowest lowest ebb dropped down to 15th in League One um, following that there was the um, joint statement from Roker Report Love Supreme Wise Men Say Red White Army uh, was released following the draw Shortly after a coordinated message on social media, that tweet accompanied by the hashtag DonaldOut was shared by hundreds of thousands of Sunland supporters, along with a message that said you'd said you'd sell Sunland when you'd outstayed your welcome. That time is now hashtag DonaldOut. Um, and obviously since then, Stuart Donald has confirmed that uh, the cl- he is trying to sell the club, although obviously he's tried a couple of times in the last year to sell the club as well, so it wouldn't uh, wouldn't be fully true, would it, to pin that all on the uh, the fans protests. Um, Sunderland obviously responded with a interesting statement this week that uh, again divided a lot of fans um, and we are where we are so clubs up for sale. Phil what's your take on the whole situation and off-field atmosphere and state of play at uh, the Stadium of Light? Yes yeah, it's, it's obviously um, it's, it's, it's far from ideal in the sense that you know the, the club has been lacking stability for such a long period of time and we're we're now we're now back in that in that zone where you you're not sure what's coming next. Yeah. The knock-on effect is always that that can affect a club's planning, its strategy. It's it's not somewhere you, where you want the club to be. Um, having said that, have we arrived at the right point where we're potentially going to change owners? I think we probably have. Um, people will, you know, fans will have their own thoughts on the initial statement from the fans group and whether it represented them and the scale of their of what they're feeling but I think everyone would acknowledge that the reason why that statement happened was because what's happened in the last six months yeah. has been nowhere near good enough so that's the kind of starting point from it I thought the response from the club was was was, was very poor um, it seek to almost further that divide I think and play supporters off against each other and in my opinion a, an institution like Sunderland has got to try and be an awful lot better than that and it probably just showed you the um, the sensitivity and the and the difficulties that are inside the club at the moment and inside the hierarchy and it, if that's the mindset that they're in um, that kind of defensiveness that that anger um, then that probably tells you that it's time for them to probably move on because you've got to be you've got to have very broad shoulders to to, to run this club and and that statement kind of suggested that they're not in a great place and the decisions they've made of late have certainly kind of suggested that as well um, I think there's very legitimate concerns about the decisions that have been made over the last six months or so and, and certainly elements of the statement were provocative in a way that um, 
that weren't helpful, I think, to suggest that the, the timing of the statement was not conducive to the team performing. It was very poor. The, if the team doesn't go up this year, it'll be for a lot of reasons and the fans won't be one of them. Yeah. Um, it's The fact that it happened before the January window is absolutely irrelevant because as a custodian of the club, as they said they were, you should want to improve the team regardless of, of what fans are saying. So there was a lot about it that I didn't like and that kind of suggested that maybe we do need a little bit of a change counted against the fact that you know, we, we would all acknowledge, I think, and all see that Sunderland has had too much of that of late and until it really does get that stability um, and it looks like it'll have to be probably rightly with new owners, we're, we're probably not going to go too far. Uh, Stuart Donald obviously has tried to sell the club uh, twice previously to Mark Campbell and the FPP group. That then obviously then turned into the, the £9 million loan this summer um, from the American group who Stuart Donald's already said doesn't expect to come back in um, in regards to taking over the club fully. But we shall see what the developments are on that front. Um, the statement from the club confirmed the process to sell the club is now underway, adding that owing to confidentiality agreements, there will be no further updates until a preferred bidder is identified. Uh, Stuart Donald also confirmed that the current owners are placing sufficient funds into this month's transfer window to help Phil Parkinson bolster his squad. Um, James, what was your take on the the, the statement <coughs> this week? And, um, do you think it's right time for Stuart Donald to go? Uh, I think it probably is, and I don't think the timing of the statement was uh, was very clever. It seemed to me as an ill-advised uh, attempt to kind of wrestle the narrative back around into their control. Um, and, and once you start kind of being divisive, as Phil's piece mentioned yesterday, it's um, it's very difficult to, to win fans around. So I thought it was ill-advised. Uh, and as a, as a Sunderland fan, I, I don't really like the fans copying... Um, for something they shouldn't, and and it's worth noting as well that the 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 main fan groups not once um, claimed to represent every fan. They started a social media campaign, and then it was up to up to individual fans if yeah. they wanted to join. It's you know mm-hmm. obviously yeah, they, that's they, a point to make. Yeah. They do wield um they do wield influence and they do have followers, but it was never you know th- this is the universal opinion of all sudden fans. Far from it, everyone has the the freedom to make their mind up and the freedom to express their own opinion. Um, so to to kind of pin it pin it all on them, or to even presume that all Sunderland fans want the same thing, I think is uh, extremely misguided. And do you think it's it it had reached a natural point now where most people would accept that it's time for Stuart Donald to move move on? Although it's easier said than done trying to sell a club such as Sunderland. Yeah, I've I've seen plenty of comments on Twitter as well um, saying that uh, they still support Stuart Donald and and that they're still. They're thankful for what he did in the summer, and they think maybe he's been treated treated harshly, and perhaps he does have the um, the best interests of the club at heart. I've seen plenty of um, of discussions like that on Twitter, but as the general election shows, um, Twitter is a very um, difficult thing to gauge the yeah. entire opinion of a of a set fan base on or, or a set electorate. It's um, it's only one platform. Um, it's obviously not often that somebody who's trying to sell the club would then pump a significant amount of money into a the transfer side of things, um, Phil, on on that, do you still think that Sunderland will do the business they need to do this month? Or well, I know Phil Parkinson has spoken, hasn't he, about his initial concern when the news broke? But. Yeah, I mean, Stuart Don's made that pledge to supporters now, so it's no excuse. And also, you know, Lawrence DeBock and Dylan McGeoch have already left the club. They'll be two not astronomical earners, but significant enough earners. Yeah, yeah. We're expecting Aidan McGee to leave the club. It's fairly clear that that's been, you know, that's going, probably going to happen at some point. So there you've already removed three reasonable wage earners, so there's absolutely no excuse not to then yeah. go and sign a certain calibre of player, particularly in the case of Aidan McGeady. 
So there's there's absolutely no excuse not to not to invest in in this January w- window in the right areas. I don't think anyone's talking about spending 15 20 million. Yeah. Um but you know the if if the owner's serious about what he said in terms of the way he wishes to leave the club and and what he wants from the club in the back end of the season then it's it's very much on him to to make to get this right and and we've already seen a little bit of room cleared up on the wage bill. We anticipate more so it it really shouldn't shouldn't be an issue. I'll, I'll be interested to see what happens on the um, on the Sutherland ladies side of things just to, to mm. give them a quick minute because their application to join the league above if they get promoted is due on the 24th of January. Yeah. I'd be I'd, I know um an application's going to go ahead but I'd be interested to to see what type of application that is and and whether Stuart Donald commits to to supporting that when he's trying to sell a club how does that work yeah. is that something the new owners would pick up if they came in there's a lot of questions around some of the ladies who are who are performing better than the men at the moment and I guess that's the point isn't it? there are a lot of questions at the minute not too many answers in the in the summer as I know you've written extensively about Phil the club was effectively sort of paralysed on the transfer front wasn't it for a good few number of weeks whilst the takeover to Mark Campbell was was on the table and then that didn't go through and the knock on effect that um, sale talk has generally on a on a club. Yeah, very much so. Um, and to be fair, that also goes well. You know, um, even before Stuart Donald, I mean, I've been doing this job three years, and there's always been an element of uncertainty around the football club. And there's kind of two elements to it. It it, it can be an excuse not to make tough decisions mm. to to kind of kick the can down the road if you like, if you believe that somebody else is going to take over. Um, and it just prevents you having the kind of long-term strategies and, and plans in place that the teams who punch above their weight and, and are capable of kind of going through the leagues have. Um, so that's something that until someone get that, I struggle to see them being even slight, you know, kind of Premier League contenders in the next few years. But unfortunately, I think there's, there's, it seems fairly clear that the, the divide between the fans and the owners is getting way too deep and I, I would be heavily critical of the owners for the way they've kind of deepened that in recent weeks and I think it's probably a sign that perhaps they need to find somebody else to take it forward um, and secondly you would have to question whether what we've seen in the last year suggests that they have those kind of plans that could realistically not just get us someone out of this division but out of the next one as well with the financial power they have so um, yeah it's it's a really bad situation for the club to be in in terms of that instability but it's been there for quite a while recently not just in the last week or so yeah um and b you know it's maybe it is what's required if, if someone are going to be serious about about doing what we all want them to do i feel like there's a, there's a real issue as well with leadership at the club on a day-to-day basis i know we've spoken about it before and we had the two non-executive directors came in but david jones has a job and, and so does tom sloan's yeah. and so and by the very definition they're non-executive so it's, yeah. it's nice to have suddenly people on the board as a as a sound and out type thing but you know, Char- yeah. Charlie Methven's not there. Stuart Donald spends um, spends time in Oxford, which he's entitled to do. But who's the director of football? Who's arranging these transfers? Uh, you know, uh, Tony Court and Richard Hill. Yeah. Is that enough? I'm not so sure. The club obviously operates day to day because it's still going and stuff, isn't it? But it's that like medium to long term view, isn't it? Yeah. And getting those kind of plans and structures and and things in place. Obviously, there's been some recruitment recently on the scouting side of things. Um, but the under 23s again were heavily beaten on Monday. Um, I think they were 3-0 down before the 10-minute mark. Um, people kind of associate that with the overall decline of the club. I mean, just quickly on the 23s, do you think they're just kind of a little bit of a crossroads where the next batch might be a little bit better coming in? And there's obviously some of those players have gone into the first team, or, or do you think I it's think, just a... I think there's probably a lot of elements to it. I mean, the one thing you, you would have to acknowledge, no matter how critical you are of the current owners, is that Sunderland currently are in a 
completely unique position there. You know, Category One academies do not drop into League One. Yeah. Um, not only are they competing against teams whose first teams are in the Premier League, because when you're in one, you have to be realistic and say if you're a 22 or 23 year old, and you're playing in Sunderland's under 23 setup while they're in League One, then realistically you're probably not going to have a future at the club mm. because you know we we already know that the players of that age are in that bracket. If if they're good enough, they're in the first team because of where Sunderland are. So yeah. there are a lot of factors that are kind of leading into um, where Sunderland find themselves, but. You know, it's that you can't argue with the results in the under twenty three and the under twenty three setup. And the big concern that I would have is is are those teams strong enough to allow players like Barley Mumber and, and Dan Neil, for example, to exciting young players? Are they going to make the development strides that we need them to, playing in a team that's getting heavily beaten week in, week out? Um I would you know, the onus has to be on the club to make sure whether it be through recruiting good players of that age or, or whatever. Um, to ensure that those teams are strong enough so that players like Barney Mumber aren't spending 90 minutes chasing shadows. I'm, yeah, sure, yeah, I'm yeah. sure it has some benefits in terms of kind of character development, but I'm not sure his game is going to make the strides yeah. that it needs to. And and he must be looking at it thinking, well, well, I wouldn't speak for Barney Mumber, but if I was in his position, I might be thinking, well, there's some young players, talented young players who've left the club who got a lot of stick for it mm-hmm. and are now making strides at big Premier League academies or even abroad. Um, and I'm playing in a team that's 3-0 down after 10 minutes and hasn't won for a year and, and, and I don't really seem to have any realistic prospect of getting in the first team so while I think they're mitigating circumstances for the results that some of uh, are getting at under 23 and under 18 level um, you have to say that it can't possibly be a positive thing in terms of getting players out of those teams and into the first team environment to perform well and that's my major concern is that the, the question has to be does there need to be more investment and more recruitment to make those teams at those age le- levels stronger so that your homegrown players who are going into those teams have a chance of shining because at the moment you just can't that can't possibly be the case I guess that a lot of ifs, ifs and buts and questions at the minute but that'll be a, another big one in the future of the academy and the category one state that's moving forward if Sunderland didn't win promotion this season and had to spend a third season in yeah, the third I mean it would be then. it would be unprecedented for a, for yeah. a category one academy to for to spend three years in league one that's not to say that it shouldn't be done and couldn't be done yeah. but it's just a fact that it would be utterly unprecedented yeah um, and that's kind of, I guess, feeds into this ownership thing of it's y- y- your owner does need to have a, a significant level of financial power if you are going to be able to do that because there's no, it's not going to be profitable yeah. while you're in League One. That's the that's the simple kind of heart of the matter. So, yeah, all, all these kind of questions and concerns, all of them legitimate, feed into this culture of that we have at the moment of frustration and above all else unease, just a fear that someone haven't bottomed out that it is, can't only get better that mm. that's actually not necessarily the case yeah. um, and, and that's why we've got this this kind of environment we have at the moment and I think most would acknowledge that the club's response to that certainly it's statement um, I think there's a there's been a feeling in the fan base for a while that the the club maybe doesn't grasp the severity of the situation or certainly that the hierarchy doesn't seem in the way it talks publicly or puts statement out or whatever that it doesn't seem to grasp the severity of the situation and that statement recently certainly didn't do that. You know, a few good results are what they are. A few good results they're yeah. encouraging, but they don't shift the needle in terms of where the club's at. So, yeah, there's there's a lot of there's a lot of legitimate concerns at the moment. I think there was a piece in the Times, wasn't there? I think, and the, the end line was that it feels like Sunderland are only ever ninety minutes away from crisis, and that's probably a fair point, isn't it? If they get beat Saturday, then you're on the pitches right back where it was. It's certainly, it's current guys because in terms of the promotion push, it's it's coming from such a long way back and yeah. you know Tom Flanagan spoke really well at the weekend but did kind of say that we're, we've, we're, we're probably quite lucky that the way the division is this year that we're not adrift 
but the reality is you're still coming from a long way back and yes Sunderland had a good festive period but teams like Coventry had a fest- fantastic festive period scored yeah. four goals twice um, and they have a you know six point advantage or whatever it is so yeah, yeah. Um, you are coming from a long way back and that means your margins for errors are so small so you can't because you've had a couple of results come out and put out very pro- in my opinion anyway very provocative statements it's not a good look and it suggests that there isn't an acceptance of where the club's at at the moment and that's probably one one of the many reasons why a lot of fans not all but why a lot of fans think that things aren't right and that the different owners needed and, and just finally just on the on the sale process i think stuart donald said on bbc newcastle didn't he, on friday night that it could take a month or two um that was probably optimistic you would have thought even if there was um i know you said they were going back to those some of those parties interested in the summer um i think chances are more likely to be end of the season now given that we're a in January, or do you think? Uh, I know there's a lot of ifs. <laughs> there's a, a lot of unknowns. Well, but there's a huge amount of if, if buts, and maybes, isn't there? And you know, Sunderland going into a third season in League One, to Sunderland going into the Championship, uh, two yeah. very, very, very different football clubs. Yeah. Um, and that is going. To, I'm not an expert, but I would suggest that would certainly affect the price. Um, yeah. Either way, what we can say is that the club is going to need a huge amount of investment. If it goes into the Championship, it's going to need a lot of investment to get competitive at that level. Yeah. Um, we saw how highly we rated Luton and Barnsley last year and just look at how they've struggled this year so yeah. it's a big gap to bridge um, is that is a big bridge to gap uh, anyway <laughs> that's one of the things one of the things gap to bridge isn't it yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah that must be right yeah anyway <laughs> um, but yeah so uh, you know either way you, you need to be finding an owner who can who can kind of take that on but yeah, yeah it's it's strange it would be strange to see the club change in the next month or two because yeah. like I say we're talking about two very different football clubs depending on how the season ends yeah I think personally I'd be amazed if there was a sale before the end of the season but but we shall see um, any final thoughts on that James? yeah I would be surprised if there was a, a sale by the end of the season so I, I just don't understand why you set yourself that time frame and set yourself up for a fall because if that yeah. doesn't happen then fans will point to that and rightly so yeah, I suppose it was a suitably vague time frame, wasn't it? A month or two, possibly, but but we shall see. Um, and as I say, I'd be amazed if there was a, a sale before the end of the season, just given what what Phil's just outlined and and where the club may or may not be next season. But um, hopefully, there'll be some clarity soon. Um, you are listening to the Raw. We're recording this at the University of Sunderland, um, as we do every Thursday. This is on Thursday morning. Uh, Phil Parkinson is due to speak at the Academy of Light this lunchtime. Be providing an update on all things. January transfer related um, just looking back pre uh, quickly then to the, the festive form as I say Bolton was the the lowest ebb that Sunderland's had to date um, since then they've performed well they've got a good win at Doncaster um, reasonable point at Fleetwood could have won it could have lost it and then a very good home performance certainly in the first half against Lincoln City last weekend um, so currently five games unbeaten though that does include the um, pretty dire draws with Blackpool and Bolton at home but um, seven points from nine, eight points from twelve—a little bit of a platform, something to build on—and clear signs of improvements in terms of the the system and the players' fitness and performance levels as well. Have you been encouraged, Phil, suitably over the last couple of games? Yeah, I, th- I think that's fair to say. I think they've had their helping hand along the way in the <coughs> moments. I thought, you know, Doncaster in particular were very poor. Fleetwood missed some good chances, and Lincoln's defending in the first half was. Probably not like quite like anything we've seen since someone dropped into League One. To be fair, mm. reminded me of uh, I got a vision of what it would be like to watch me play on a Wednesday night, <laughs> watching the yeah. centre ass uh, make a mess of that long ball down the middle. Yeah. Um, but you know, I think 
you can begin to see what Phil Parkinson's trying to do. Um, the personnel that he's kind of got into the team in the last few weeks means it's got far more intent about it than it did in kind of that kind of wretched six weeks and after he came in you know the the wing backs are effectively wingers now rather than defenders which they were kind of when you were thinking about going away to Gillingham yeah that was a flat back um, five wasn't it and <clears throat> you know this still it's still pretty direct I think we all say that um, the issue was is that a few weeks ago however you want your football to be played it just made little sense because balls were going up with Charlie Wyke and there was no one around him Yeah, because of the way they're playing at the moment now all of a sudden Charlie Wyke you know, knocks the ball down, you've got Gucci Maguire right on top of it and you begin to see that teams are a little bit fearful of Sunderland I think, you begin to see that they find it very difficult to cope with them and that they're, they're worried about how they're getting hurt in terms of especially that partnership on the left with Gucci and Hume has, has been fantastic to watch really nice to see two kind of academy products um, playing that way and and fans are always going to respond to that so that's been really nice so I think you have to say it's it's only three games it's not to be negative it's just to say that other teams have had good runs of form in that time um, we need to see Sunderland knocking out beating teams up near the top still haven't done that all season um, you know teams like Coventry who they should have lost to really um, Blackpool was a tight game but you need to see them beating these teams before you say actually we're in a position where we can realistically talk about ourselves as promotion contenders because even though the table's tight and there's not a lot of points in it and they've got a lot of teams to get past if they want to get to where they want to and I think a lot of those teams are going to have to improve their form it's unrealistic to think Ipswich aren't going to you know are going to go on another eight game yeah, winners yeah. run I just don't see it I might be wrong of course so hugely encouraged you can see how suddenly they're going to win games for the first time in a while um, and you can also see that teams are beginning to be a little bit fearful of the threat they've got, which is great to see because we've not had that enough. Um, but I, you know, I, w- I would like if they go and do that to a top six, seven team properly, um, then you're starting to go, oh wow, um, this is really exciting. So we're encouraged definitely, um, but with a, you know, that acknowledgement that any three games has to be set against the kind of 14 previous, if you see what I mean. So hopefully you can continue into this weekend against Wickham, which obviously is going to be a big game. And it's it's an interesting one, isn't it, Wickham? Obviously, they're still league, leading the League One table, but haven't won in four, lost the last three, and we all know how Wickham play that kind of very physical, um, canny style of football. Um, I can find them up front, etc. Um, and you'd expect them to, to defend a whole lot better than, than Lincoln City as well. What's your thoughts heading into the weekend, James? And if the if they win this game. What will they do? They'll cut the gap to Wickham to six with a game in hand, which looks very positive. It Lose does. it and you're back in 14th, 15th crisis mode and again. You, you consider how much of an abject Sunderland season it's been so far yeah. and, and how well Wickham have done. Maybe that's down to expectation, I don't know. But Sunderland are only, what, nine points off Wickham, as you say, with a game in hand. If they beat them, that'll be six. And between Rotherham and second place on 41 points... Yeah. There's Accrington, Stanley in 17th on 29th, so that's a 12-point gap between 2nd and 17th. The, the league table's so tight that if you can just put a decent run together, then y- you never know where you're, where you're going to be. As Phil says, though, what is going to count is the games against the top six. And uh, some breaking news, mid, oh. mid-podcast. Um, just on the back of, obviously, all the... Um, Fan statements and Stuart Donald that's the sale of the club etc that we were talking about at the, the top of the show um, there's been a joint statement on the back of Stuart, Stuart Donald's statement the other day from Love Supreme Red and White Army Roker Report and Wise Men Say um, I'll just read it out because it's relatively short uh, in our joint statement on the 27th of December we explained that it was our desire for the Sunderland owner to sell his stake in the club so the official 
confirmation that he intends to find a suitable buyer is welcome news. Stuart Donald has continued to communicate with us during this process and has made it clear that he wishes to sell as soon as possible to the right buyer. We hope that a changing of the guard will occur as soon as reasonably possible and for a fair price to people with a long-term plan who will be able to get Sun back where it belongs. In the meantime, like all Sun and fans, we will continue to support the team, come what may. Throughout the club's long and proud history, the fans have been the one constant through triumphs and many heartaches. The one thing SAFC can always be proud of is the passionate, intense and loyal supporters, all with the same goal, to give their full backing to a team we can be proud of. Supporters have been and always will be the heartbeat of the club and we're in it for the long haul until we die. Classy statement there from the fan groups. Um, fair enough, I would suggest, on the back of uh, Stuart Donalds in the yeah. club statement. The other fair day. enough, yeah. yeah, well said. Made their point. Um, good stuff, right. Well, that was uh, that was well-timed mid-podcast. Um, <laughs> so, festive form, we've covered. Um, Phil Parkinson as well, I mean, to be fair, him, he was getting a heck of a lot of stick. A lot of fans obviously wanted him to go. Um especially after the Bolton game. That was the second time, I think, in two or three weeks that fans had chanted against him. Um, I can't really remember a short honeymoon. Well, I didn't really have a honeymoon period, but I can't really remember a time where Sunderland manager has had such a short spell before the fans turned on him, um, given the, the overall state of the club and results, etc. But since then, credit where it's due to Phil Parkinson. He's in his system. Do you think he'll win around many fans, or is this too short of a window to well, make any judgments it's too, it's on? It's too short of a window at the moment. Um, I don't think three games is a large enough sample size to, to tell you where the club's going to be in, in a few months' time, but I think it is an interesting one because you do wonder whether, in a strange kind of way, the way it's panned out for Phil might oddly kind of work to his benefit because... I think when obviously when he was brought into the club, the, the remit was was very clear that he was presented as the guy who was going to turn a decent league one team into a very good one and get them up into the top two quickly and kind of walk through the division if you like and get Sunderland up. Yeah, it does make me wonder because if you remember the criticism Jack was getting um, for when the team was kind of in the lower end of the playoff positions, if Phil had kind of just stayed along there for the entirety of the last couple of months, you know, it's odd because having dropped to such a drastically low position through in my opinion some very poor performances selections tactics that weren't working etc maybe if he gets a bit of momentum going it'll actually kind of work to his benefit that he's coming from a long way back and he yeah, suddenly yeah, start to build yeah. this all, almost sense of a juggernaut rather than kind of like plugging along in the sixth mm-hmm. position at the end yeah. of the season if you like if he does so haven't come through a run of decent form and winning more than you're losing etc he might just find that he's able to get a bit of energy and momentum that he probably wouldn't have if things had continued just in the same kind of way um, so it'll be interesting to see whether how that does develop in the next few weeks and months because, you know, we just talked about that fan statement there and you know we were there at Doncaster and there was a lot of talk about what the support must be like, might be like and what have you. It was unbelievable. It was a it was a real wall of noise. It was it was incredible to be fair. And regardless of what people think about the owners or whatever, if Sunderland win two of the next three, keep this unbeaten run going, beat Wickham who were kind of up there all of a sudden the, the place is going to kind of take off and, and who knows, maybe the kind of divide between the ownership and the supporters will end up being a little bit of a galvanising thing in terms of the team and the supporters. There's no reason to think that just because fans are, a lot of fans might be frustrated with the ownership that that's going to translate to the players. If the players are performing well and putting you know, sweat on the shirt, as Steve Parton always likes to say, then they'll get a response and maybe it'll just develop a little bit of a siege mentality, a little bit of a kind of a juggernaut. Um, and yeah, I think Parkinson, maybe he'll benefit if he can keep the results going and that's a big if three games isn't enough yeah. and in all of those games if we're honest even though Sunderland have played well 
it could have gone a different way. Certainly, even the Doncaster game, McLaughlin made a couple of brilliant saves after mm-hmm. Maguire's goal, and the Fleetwood game certainly they could have been two 0 down very very easily. As as I thought they deserved a point from that game. Yeah, it's just to say that yeah, it you know been, it, yeah. it's it's we, we can't say that they completely sort of battered Fleetwood. That's not the case. And do, do you think in some way the um, Stuart Donald sale situation? I think it's probably fair to say that that has taken a little bit of a sting away from Parkinson because fans probably realise that he's not going to get sacked between now and the end of the season, is he? Well, his, his position is feels very very secure when the club's up for sale. Yeah. What happens if a new owner comes in? As we all know from yeah. following football over a lot of years, it's very different. But yeah, it probably has. I think. We've well, probably passed the point where Phil Parkinson was going to depart due to poor results. Yeah. Um, because you know, if if you stay in post after where the club was after the Bolton game, yeah, exactly. Realistically, it's. Yeah. I mean, of course, it can always get worse, but that was a clear signal. Not making that decision then, that was a clear signal. I think that it wasn't going to happen while Stuart Donald's here. Um, and and you know, to be fair, the last three games have been good, and I think he's earned a chance to build on that and to show that it's not just a kind of a bit of a flash in the pan. That it is a sign of a plan coming together, and hopefully it is because that's what everybody wants. You know, there's a lot of uncertainty and frustration and a bit of division about at the moment but none of that's because people don't want the team to do well and and people want ultimately want Phil Parkinson to be a success I think after the Bolton game it was very fair to question how that team and its guys was going to get promoted because it wasn't yeah, winning yeah. games for a long period of time and didn't particularly look like it in the last three games we've seen a team that if it maintains those levels looks like a team that could potentially get out of League One um, so let's hope that continues um, but I think it, it, you know, it is clearly too short a window at the moment to say that everything's turned on the pitch. We'll, we'll wait eagerly wait and see what happens in the next few weeks. James, you gonna? They, they look a lot fitter to me. I would say. Yeah, that, that, yeah that's, that's definitely part of the plan. Yeah. And maybe something that we hadn't really considered under under Jack Ross why maybe concede a few late goals um, was down to fitness levels. But yeah, I think as you say, you look at the league table and there's only Rotherham that are. Um, Undefeated in six like Sunderland, so they're the two form teams. So you, you just hope that it can be built on, and and obviously with a few um, new faces in January would help freshen things up. And he's obviously settled at the minute. Obviously before any new faces come in on his preferred sort of eleven, twelve players, he's only made a couple of the odd changes for for various games. Um, just one change at the weekend, which probably was partly why they looked a little bit flat the second half you would have thought four games in nine days um, and Lincoln I guess weren't as going to be as bad as they were in the first half and they also sort of tweaked their system as well a little bit didn't they um, just a word on Chris Maguire um, obviously him and McGeady were at the, the sort of centre of the, you know the McDonald's gate and all that and then <laughs> obviously McGeady's future since been discussed in, in great length but um, credit to Maguire for his sort of improvement in recent weeks and I guess the challenge for him now is whether he can sustain that between now and the end of the season rather than just do it yeah and that's kind of what we're alluding to in terms of three games being a short window because there's probably been three or four spells since Chris Maguire came to the club where you've thought wow what a player I'm really enjoying watching him if you think back to that spell after the Czech trade final um, when he kind of been off the boil for a while and he came off the bench against Aaron Stanley turned that game and was a treat to watch and so that's, I guess, what in a nutshell is what I'm talking about. You know, we have seen, we need to see that consistency over 10, 15 games from these players and the manager to think, oh, okay, actually, we're we're in serious business here rather than three. And Maguire kind of sums up that. I think Maguire sums up Sunderland's inconsistency in the last 18 months, really. Mm. And this debate we always have about how strong the team is. At times, Chris Maguire has looked a cut above. For long periods, he hasn't. Um, and so that's yeah, yeah. that's kind of where the club finds itself. I think in terms of what you mentioned, yes, he deserves credit. I think it's very clear that. Um, he's responded to what Phil Parkinson and Nick Allenby, the new 
physical performance coach have told him he needs to do in terms of where his fitness needs to be to execute what they want from him. The second goal against Lincoln was an embodiment of that. Yes, it's a goalkeeper error, but it's his pressing that forces it. Probably helps Phil Partinson in kind of pushing that message that Chris Maguire's got six months on his contract. Yeah. Is Chris Maguire at this stage of his career going to get anything better than what he's got at Sunderland, where the fans love him when he's on it? And yeah, exactly. you know, I, I don't yeah. think he's going to get anything better than that. That's probably a useful tool for Phil Partinson, I suggest. A carrot to dangle over. I, 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 I suspect weeks, yeah. so, and that's not a criticism of Chris Maguire whatsoever. Um, it's just, I think, a reality of probably a situation where it's allowed Phil Partinson to be very strong in, in what he's asking him to do physically. So, yeah, I think Maguire, in a nutshell, kind of sums up where we're at with Sunderland really encouraged by what we've seen in the last few games have that belief and that knowledge that the quality is there if they maintain it to take the team up but we need to see it for a longer period before we start saying okay here we go and it's interesting isn't it the, the contract situation because as we all know there's I don't know best part of 10, 11, 12 players who are out of contract um, this summer of various levels within the first team first team picture obviously John McLaughlin one of them Um and there's going to be zero, you would have thought, zero contract talks or negotiations or anything agreed or signed between now and until the club's potentially sold, isn't no, it? No. And, this and is which I, division they're going to this, this, is, this is what I mean about these, t- you know, a takeover can be a great excuse for tough decisions not to be made and financial commitments not to be made. We wait and see whether that's the case on this occasion, but it seems unlikely that they're going to go and hand John McLaughlin a, a new long-term deal. Do you know what I mean? So that uncertainty yep. is always going to hang in the interim. I think there's obviously it's, it's unusual to us because we're used to for a long time now Sunderland being a Premier League and a Championship team where your players can potentially bring in a lot of money so you want to protect them by having them on long-term contracts. Yeah. Obviously, League One is different. It's not unusual for a team to have a clutch of players coming to the end of their contracts because they don't tend not to have a huge amount of value. And of course, realistically, you look at it now and say that either way, Sunderland are going to have a bit of a rebuild in the summer because you either go up to the Championship and you need a big injection of quality and investment to compete or you fail to go up, at which point you have to say, well, we've had the core of this squad for two years and we've not achieved what we want to achieve, so we probably need to go in a little bit of a da- new direction. So for the most part, I don't think it's a massive concern that they're in that position, mm. um, but certainly there are some key ones that you would like to see resolved and realistically we're in a position where that's probably not going to happen for a little while. Um, so we're now obviously a week or so. How many days in? Nine, bloody hell. Nine days into the January window Time already. flies when you're having fun. Doesn't it just? Uh, Middlesbrough acted quickly, bringing in a couple of players, uh, northeast neighbours. Um, Sunderland still waiting to make their first signing of the transfer window, which is an all-too-familiar tale on Wearside. I'm sure fans will be um, <laughs> fully versed on having to be patient during these windows. But um, a couple of players have, as mentioned previously, already gone. Lawrence de Bock. No great surprise, shock or tears shed, I would have thought, of his departure. His loan move cut short, heading back to Leeds United before a probable return to Belgium. And Dylan McGeoch, um has gone to Aberdeen, of course, signed a two-and-a-half-year deal the other night after, a, I guess, a frustrating 18-month spell for, for him and the fans, really, because it was quite a coup, I remember, when he, he signed mm. the off quite a few clubs to land his signature um, the summer before last. Um, and we've also seen the return... Uh, of Ethan Robson who returned to training at the Academy of Light on Tuesday after a successful loan spell at Grimsby um, his future still up in the air Phil Parkinson um, has obviously made reference that there is interest in him from other clubs and uh, they'll have to make a decision on whether to, to keep him or to loan him out but if he features against Wickham on Saturday then that'll be uh, that'll be him for the rest of the season because you can only play for two clubs uh, just briefly Phil what's your take on McGeoch? Um, 
How would you assess his time at Sunderland? Yeah, I can't do it briefly. Uh, <laughs> no, I just think he was a. I just think a really good footballer, and I'm so frustrated that it didn't work out from here. Um, I do think he obviously had some injury problems, which didn't help him at key times. I do also think he was one of those players, and I'd probably put Liam Oztake in the same category. Who some players seem to get a lot of patience when they're not quite at it. Um, and there are some players who seem to dip out of the team very quickly once they go kind of slightly off the boil. And I felt Dylan was probably that player that last year. I thought both him and Rhys James actually were both quite an important part of the team that went on that nine, ten game winning run. Probably didn't get the credit for it they deserved. Having said that, you know, we were all frustrated that Dylan didn't reach the level a lot of the time that we knew he was capable of. And it was quite a strange dynamic with Jack Ross because I think Jack Ross had more faith and belief in Dylan than anybody, which strangely made him seem more frustrated than anybody when Dylan quite didn't yeah, quite yeah, hit yeah. those levels so it was quite an odd dynamic that it was difficult to get the bottom on for much of his first year um, and that's the reason why Dylan stayed in the summer because both him and Jack kind of felt well in patches this this season it's been really good and it was nice to see Dylan actually in his interview he was asked by the Aberdeen obviously media team you know kind of said frustrating year for you and he said well last few months have been frustrating but you know there was a lot of highs as well as the lows and I've got some great memories and he has I remember that Rochdale game where we all thought Sunderland were going to do it. He was mm. outstanding. Yeah. Brilliant at Accrington a few nights before. Um, even this season, outstanding in the two Carabao Cup games. That was Dylan at his best. Great awareness. The fact that he didn't have a huge amount of legs didn't really matter because his brain was so sharp that he could yeah. get about the pitch anyway and make those decisions. So really disappointed that it didn't work out for him. I, I hope it goes well for Aberdeen. Ultimately, it wasn't going to happen under Phil Parkinson, so there's no point in either party kind of prolonging a relationship. Yeah, it's clearly yeah. not yeah. going to... Um, bring rewards and I suppose it gives a chance for Parkinson to bring in a, a midfielder more of his ilk if you like um, I'm hoping that Ethan Robson can be that person but we'll have to wait and see I'm not convinced Parkinson's a manager who's shown too much in the past that he'll take a gamble on youth in yeah. in a difficult situation so I'm a little bit pessimistic on that but I, I really do hope to be proven wrong and it was interesting to see yesterday that Ian Holloway's kind of rang Phil Parkinson to tell him how good he is um, yeah. which you know I know Ian Holloway's a pretty positive person but um you know, nice to know that he has made that impression at Grimsby, and, and, and you know, maybe maybe that'll help him. Um, in terms of incomings, then obviously we're, we're still waiting for the first deck signing to arrive at the Academy Light. Um, Kyle Lafferty said to have held talks with Sunderland on Tuesday. Uh, he's a free agent, having spent time in Norway. I think uh, ex Rangers and Hearts striker, thirty-two-year-old, uh, mixed scoring mixed scoring record over over the seasons. But a free agent, so I suspect that's the, the pool that Sunderland will be partly fishing in this window. Um, obviously, Semino down at Bristol City is a target of Phil Parkinson, although it seems that Doncaster Rovers remain favourites to land him. And Bailey, the defender at uh, Bristol City as well, um, has also been linked teammate of Semino there. Um, excited by some of the names linked, James? Um, go on yeah. <laughs> uh, Louis Coyle the right back might be a, a, yeah, a so decent addition um, United, yeah. United although the last fullback was signed from Leeds United didn't go too well so mm-hmm. it's um, it's hard to judge Carl Lafferty doesn't um, massively excite me but he's got massive experience and uh, he strikes me as a, a Phil Parkinson type player so if he fits into the system by all means but I do think Sunderland need pace and power as we've said so yeah. the lad from Bristol City whose name I always struggle with might, um, I went with Semenyo. I'm going to Semenyo. Antoine Semenyo. Yeah, yeah, I'll go with that. I, I think um, he <clears> could be a, a really good addition. But then there's always the worry that these players can end up like Keziah Sterling and not play much. And yeah. I, I believe um, Bristol Rovers want, or oh, sorry, Bristol City want um, 
want him to play and that'll yeah. dictate where he goes yeah. so they'll want assurances around that and just to move it back to Ethan Robson one line that Ian Holloway said really struck me um, it was a, Phil hasn't seen him yet he's out of contract in the summer but the boy is obviously from Sunderland and he believes he can play in their team so there's a clear will from Ethan Robson to play he's from Horton yeah. he wants to play he, he looks like he could make that step in, in the League One football and I think when we've spent money producing these players and we've taken time in the academy and he wants to be here, I think he should be given a chance. Um, Phil, what's your take on, on January? Do you expect... Uh, do, you, do you think it'll be around the sort of four or five player mark in terms of yeah, numbers? Well, I, I think so. When, once you take Dylan and, and um, Lawrence Block out of the picture, you actually have a relatively thin-looking squad yeah. when you consider that mcgee has been bombed out as well. Yeah. Um, actually, so there you need three just to get back up to where you were before. You know, at the moment he's only got three centre midfielders really, um, four if we include Ethan, um, one left back. Um, so I think yeah, I think you need three now just to get back up to the level you were at before, and then you could probably, given that Will Grigg and Mark McNulty don't seem to be particularly fancied by Phil Parkinson, you know, then you need a striker above what you've got. So there we're already at four, um, and that's he might if he's playing three at the back, he might think well actually I need another centre half. Um, so all of a sudden you, you are probably look, thinking we do need four or five to get up the squad to level to where it needs to be um, I think it'll probably be a little bit of a of a mixture in terms of um, fees, loans etc, I don't think they're going to spend a huge amount this month, no. um, I think it mostly will be loans um, but like we say we, we eagerly await to see them do put the investment in that's required because like I said the wage bill has been already reduced a little bit at the start of this window and we expect it to happen further when McGee goes so all the eyes on what happens but yeah I mean we're already at a situation where you're looking at four to really get to where something need to be, need to be. Um, so yeah it'll be interesting to see what comes of it Griggs an interesting one isn't it because he I don't think he kicked the ball did he in the four games over the, the festive period last he didn't come off Blackpool the bench was his last, uh, last appearance so um, but the reality of the deal that someone struck last year is that no league one club realistically could possibly match it so yeah the only way you get you kind of move them off your books, whether it be loan or permanent, is if you take a fairly significant hit on it. Yeah. Whether it be by still covering most of his wages or 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 writing off a lot of the money you spent last last January, so mm. it then becomes a question of well, if we you know if we if we're not going to if financially it's not really going to say us, do we just keep them on and hope that something clicks? I, yeah. I don't know what the answer to that situation is, but that's definitely the hardest one to resolve of all, of all the ones that Sunderland are facing up to this month and McGee will be interesting as well to see if he leaves on a permanent deal this month or potential loan in which case you would have thought Sunderland would probably cover a fair chunk of his wages yeah I mean McGee look all that not to sound too dramatic but the power is in McGee's hands he's got 18 months on his deal and yeah. so much of what's gone wrong at Sunderland recently can be embodied in the fact that they handed him a new contract on good terms as kind of a leader of the team and as an absolutely crucial player and then a few months later he was bombed out and you know, that, that means that McGeady's in a pretty comfortable position yeah. if he doesn't get a, an offer that he, he likes this month he can just not take it as he's entitled to do so um, so yeah it's I, I do think I, th- I think ultimately he'll move because I think he's a player who someone's going to take a chance on but it's 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 certainly certainly not a straightforward one as it would be well not straightforward but far more straightforward yeah. if he was coming in the last six months of his deal clearly with eighteen months on his deal he could outlast Parkinson and Donald this <laughs> couldn't he McGinney? I'm Who, sure that was part of his thinking when yeah, he got bombed out yeah. with the greatest respect to yeah. both those other parties the way things were going at the time um, so yeah we'll we'll see how that goes thank you very much gents anything else to add anyone no not no. just I was speaking to um, Matt Scrafton of the um, 
Blackpool Gazette, our colleague, oh, about yes. Will Griggan. He um, he said he can't see the deal happening at all. Potential yeah. playoff rival, and Sunderland would still have to foot a lot of his wages. So yeah. if there's one player I actually can't see moving this window, it's Will Griggan. Yeah, it's interesting. One Good stuff. Thank you both very much. Um, this has been the Raw Podcast. Uh, we've been recording at the University of Sunderland, and we'll be back next Thursday. Um, with the, the next instalment of the Raw for the latest transfer news and sale talk, um, head to sunlandeco.com.